I'm here with Greg Sykes, president of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, and uh, this is your last year as the uh, as the president. And somebody else will be elected soon, and uh, and we'll take the position um, moving forward. But uh, it's a it's a pretty ceremonial position. Uh, you're 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 involved with with various things, but uh, what I'd like to to dig into today is uh, kind of your history. People people have seen you at the convention in recent years um, as president, and they know you just based on being a, a pastor in the state. Um, but just tell me a little bit about your background. Um, I know that you uh, a cool fact is that you uh, you have a degree in journalism, which I think is cool as a journalist. Yeah. Um, just kind of tell me a little bit about your your history. Um, maybe get into that a little bit, um, as well as uh, kind of moving into your your story of how you you got involved with uh, First Baptist and, and kind of what led to you being pastor here. Okay. Well, goodness, you're, you're taking me back if you want my story um, and even any of the journalism information. Um, you know, I can, I'll break it down quickly, but Great. it's kind of step by step yeah. here. Um, I, I accepted Christ when I was 12, um, but really did not... Um, understand the ramifications of that decision you know i know it was genuine and sincere and it changed my life um but it took a long time to unpack that and so um, as i went through high school i I had a real love for journalism Um, did some writing even in high school with the student newspaper and with a local newspaper covering um, football games and loved it and um in all sincerity it was a bad time to say this but i was a major Razorback fan. Um, Razorback sports was a huge allure to me, and so the idea of being a student at Fayetteville and getting to cover the Razorbacks um, was really, you know, it was a dream at the time. And so I went to university and enrolled in um, print journalism and actually ran the student newspaper for a year and got to do all of that, um, rub shoulders with all the athletes and coaches and cover games. And and it was, it was, honestly, it was, it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun, but that was the late '80s and the early '90s, and we were good at everything. So it was really a good time. So that was that was your main that was your main kind of. You grew up in Arkansas, yes, sir. So you were an Arkansas fan, yeah. Just because you're, I mean, every, oh yeah, every Arkansan is an Arkansas fan, as far as I understand it. Feels like that, or they should leave the state. Yeah, you know, exactly. Anyway, so. Yeah. So yeah. you grew up an Arkansas fan, but that was kind of your ideas. You were a sports fan, and you wanted to go there and and cover the sports. Yeah, you know, I would have certainly, um, I had some interest in um, covering politics, um, you know, really more national government than state, probably. I did a little, I did council meetings and mayoral things, and oh goodness, that was tedious. You know, I learned a lot about sunshine laws and FOI laws and things like that that have been pertinent to um, Pope County lately, but anyway... um, you know, I enjoyed that. I, I felt more like if I did anything, it would be in, in Washington. Um, uh, so sports was just the honey hole. I mean, it was natural. Um, I felt like just as a fan, I had spent so much time educating myself on the nuances of all the games, and I knew the people. And, you know, I was one of those sad individuals that, uh, especially early as a believer, I might could quote three verses um, by the time I was 18. But you know, you want a minutiae sort of fact from 1946 about the Razorbacks, and I can probably tell you something, you know. So that's just who I was, and, and it was a passion, and um, it was a lot of fun. And um, But as college played out, I, I enrolled and went back for my master's. Um, 
began to really experience some conflicts between my faith, which was growing, um, and and in all sincerity, the ideology of, of those that um, don't really believe in the Bible and don't believe in Jesus. And um, I tried to run a student newspaper under kind of some biblical principles. Um, let's just say the inner circle of journalism at the University of Arkansas did not like having an overtly Christian editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of conflict. And so I began to reconsider, can I be a an authentic believer in Jesus um, who really cares about worldview and um, and that's going to filter everything I do. Can I really do that in this industry? Um, and in all sincerity, I, I felt really comfortable that I could not, that mm-hmm. it was going to be an ugly marriage. I yeah. mean, unless I did, like an Arkansas Baptist News Magazine or, or some, some organization that clearly catered to a Christian worldview, and so you could merge the two. If I was going to be in the secular industry, I didn't... I didn't see a future for an overtly Christian journalist. Yeah. Um, and I would say the last 20 years have probably proven, I don't think I was crazy. I think I anticipated, or maybe the Lord helped me anticipate what was coming. Um, so I began to look at options and, and backdoor to um, some advertising PR work for a student ministry located in Conway called Student Mobilization. And um, I designed... Um, basically their publications and support raising materials and did some campus ministry with them. And um, that was kind of the next step, kind of the soft landing, you know, turn in from print journalism, want to do maybe some more ministry, overtly Christian things. And um, that led me there and, and did that for a period of time. And just a series of events kind of led to um, someone turned my name in to um, First Baptist Dover as a candidate for their like their youth and associate position, um, and it you know the Lord had just brought me to a place where that seemed like a really natural fit. I had mm-hmm. a, a desire to do ministry, um, love the Lord, love the Word, um, love students. Um, had been doing college ministry, and so it was very comfortable thinking about mentoring youth and. Um, and was really ready to get out of a place where maybe I was just using my journalism skills, mm-hmm. um, but I was having to kind of pull back on ministry. Yeah. Um, and so about that time is when I began to feel comfortable. I was called into ministry, but I, I had no clue what it was going to look like. Um, certainly would never have said I was called to be a pastor. Um, that was not on the radar at all. Um, I was just being obedient. To, you know, it, it felt like doors had slowly opened over a period of about 10 years and what do you know i wake up and i'm on staff at a a a great church in dover and working with jeff paxton and um that was a really really encouraging time yeah and just to just to pull back a little bit you you came to christ in college in high school actually in in high school but i really grew in my faith in college yeah yeah i think you mentioned you you mentioned that it, it was high school and then but you said you grew in college were you involved in, in uh, BCM or any of the ministries at, at you know, U of A, or was it more you were involved with church, and that's kind of how you grew? It was more um, parachurch ministry. Uh-huh. I, I grew up in a in a smaller um, church in, in Cabot, uh, missionary Baptist background. Um, so, you know, BCM wasn't really aware of, of what BCM offered. Um, when I went to Fayetteville, I, I got connected with Student Mobilization, which is a, a campus crusade-like model organization that it's still strong in Arkansas and, and in a few other states. Um, they're very much about one-on-one discipleship and evangelism and um, really what I would say are the fundamentals of the faith. I mean, they emphasize scripture memory and um, Bible study, inductive Bible study primarily and um 
uh, scripture, I said scripture memory, I guess, evangelism, personal evangelism. Um, and so that really helped me grow um, the mentoring that they did. And then I began to knock around at, at so many of the really good churches in Northwest Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I don't want to say church hopped, but followed friends and, and mentors to different places. And I wound up spending a lot of time at um, what was then just First Baptist Springdale with, with Ronnie Floyd preaching and um, grew a lot. Um, those were really good years and um, just learned a lot about, um, began to learn what church looked like because I really hadn't grown up in churches like that. And, you know, uh, 85, 90 member church in Cabot yeah. is just a lot different. Than, Very different. Uh, yeah. You know, so I learned a lot and um, developed a passion for that college ministry. And that was where my first job was working with them. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine just by nature of, of how you, you said your faith grew a lot in college, um, I would I would imagine that that really helped you when you when you got to that college ministry. You know, yeah, it, it was it, an, was, it really was a very natural fit. A lot of skills that you'd you'd grow. Yeah, I just began to practice what had been yeah. you know preached to me and and what I had experienced personally. So it was yeah, that was it was like second nature almost. It was very yeah. natural. I mean, coming from I don't want to say uh, most pastors uh, necessarily had a. Uh, a, a father, grandfather, or close family member that were pastors. A lot of them do, um, but it, it seems like your your story is much more of uh, a family, a Christian family that you you didn't necessarily have a a straight line into ministry. You no. you you were you no. know you were going to school for journalism. You were um, for for lack of a better way of putting, I guess you were just a, a normal a person. Um, you, I, I guess. Uh, who were who were some people in the state? Because m- most of your ministry um, and most of your mentors have been in Arkansas. I mean, who were some of those folks that um, that just kind of helped shape that ministry? You mentioned uh, Dr. Floyd, and um, yeah, um, yeah. My father was a uh, he, he worked at the same factory in Little Rock for forty three years. So yeah, I was not on a ministry track from the womb or anything like that. He was just a, a good, godly man that loved the Lord and and worked hard all of his days. So um, I learned a lot of good things from him. But yeah, I wouldn't say spiritually, I wasn't in that sense mentored in the home and encouraged to ministry. Um, found those folks at the university. Uh, you know, I, Ronnie would not would not have known me at that time. You know, he is a big church, but he was a fantastic communicator of God's Word. And just his passion for the Word and, and um, the lost and, and church um, really... Um, filled a lot in me, uh, maybe some holes that hadn't been been filled. It was very encouraging. Spent some time at Fellowship Bible Church in Northwest Arkansas. Um, they had, uh, I remember a gentleman named Robert Cup. Um, I think Gary Smith was another preaching pastor. Just um, men, again, that did a wonderful job communicating God's Word. Um, Steve Shadrach was the president of student mobilization at the time. He now works for like the... Um, U.S. Global Center for Missions, I think. Um, he influenced me very, very heavily. Um, and then after that, I started getting connected to Southern Baptist Life when I um, moved to Conway and, and then met Jeff Paxton. And um, Jeff is one of those guys that likes to keep a low profile, but he's such a blessing to me and, and just a great mentor. Um, and then really, I think it, it took off when I wound up here at First Russellville um, and Stephen Davis was the pastor here and um, he wound up serving here 27 years. I worked for him 
um, I guess for 10 years until he transitioned, um, kind of, I wouldn't say retirement, but semi-retirement. He works for North American Mission Board now and does a lot of everything. But so he mentored me for about 10 years as a member of his staff. And um, if if anyone influenced me more than any of those others, I just listed, listed it would just be, it would definitely be Stephen. Yeah, I've, I've, I don't know if I've talked to you or him uh, about that in the past, but just kind of heard a little bit about your story and, and kind of how, um, how much, you know, you, you I, I guess at first Russellville was just, has just been a, a, a journey for you that is really, um, you're a pastor now, but there's, there was just so much poured into you through your time here, through him and others. Um, and, uh, I, I guess just uh, the thing that I've taken away from, from hearing about that in the past where you've spoken about it or others have, uh, it, is the idea, I think, uh, maybe Stephen Davis has said this, but, idea of, of taking people who are in the church or people who maybe they're on staff but they're they're not in a, in a higher level staff position or what have you um, but really growing uh, leaders from within the church whether it's on the staff or whether it's just folks in the congregation um, and then yourself being a product of that being uh, on the church staff and then kind of now becoming pastor um, not that it's there's anything wrong with you know there's plenty of times where churches go out and they find a pastor to come yeah. serve on their staff um, I guess speak on that a little bit, the, the the familial kind of aspect of of being a church that that grows people from within and then and then those people become the leaders of the church. Yeah. That's definitely become a hallmark for us and, and I wouldn't be certainly sitting in the office here as, as First Baptist pastor or even involved with the convention like I've been if it wasn't for that mindset here, um, you know, the, the truth is that I believe it was John Bassanio from, from first Houston, I think, um, a uh, little before my time, but he came and preached a revival here. And that was kind of one of the principles that he, he drove in at that time was, Hey, let's not do cattle calls and look at the best resumes, but let's find, um, hot hearted people that, that love the Lord that maybe fit church DNA and, and let's, um, let's go to war with them. And um, I had I met my wife uh, late in my time in Conway, and she was a member here at First Russellville. And so as we married and, and began um, kind of our journey as a married couple, we, we landed in this church while I was still working in Conway, driving back and forth. So I was under Stephen's preaching ministry um, for about the first three and a half years of our marriage. Um, got to know the church, got to know everything about First Russellville, um, you know, just kind of fell in love with the way things were done here. Um, and then I was hired at Dover, but around that time is when Stephen really began to implement this model of, hey, let's let's make sure we value DNA more than we value resume. I'm not meaning that resumes don't have a place, sure. and but the truth is they would have never hired me to do what they hired me to do if they were looking on paper yeah. because I wasn't really qualified. They, they brought me in to do children and family ministry, and I remember sitting in a meeting as they interviewed me, and, and I kept saying, look, if, if, if you're hiring me to entertain your children – I am not bozo, you know. I have I, I can't do puppets. I don't do you know. I, I'm I'm not creative at all. I'm a, I'm actually and I'm an old journalist, you know. I mean I I communicate pretty well, I think, but I don't entertain kids. Um, but I said if 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 you're hiring me to disciple the parents of your children, um, then I have a passion for that, and I, I think I can do that. That's what I feel equipped for. And um, you know, it was probably 
they took a flyer on someone that wasn't qualified to be a children's pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did was administer a children's ministry. And we had people in our church that were fantastic at doing all the little nuanced kind of ministries with children. They were much better teachers for three-year-olds or 10-year-olds or than I was. I, I just, I, I put church members in place and tried to delegate authority and, yeah. and, um, and it worked, I guess. Um, crazily enough, you know, so, um, and then I just kind of stuck around and, um, it felt like as, as our church grew and as our young families kind of grew with us, um, that needs increased in certain areas. And I just kind of moved to a new, a new role. I went from children's and family to, um, I guess the first stop was, um, minister of education and kind of discipleship and taught, young adult classes and that kind of thing. And then eventually that became a combo position with associate role. Um, because Stephen was here so long and I was here so long that we began to have guys transition out. And I went from being, when I was hired in 2001, the youngest guy on staff by around 2009, 2010, I was the second oldest guy on staff and um, moved in that associate role and, and then you know, the time came when Stephen was transitioning, and, mm-hmm. and um, that's a whole different journey, I guess. Yeah. Well, it, it just, it's cool to me to hear the perspective, that perspective of kind of saying, um, you know, we trust God to, to, to put people where they need to be, and, you know, you have to use discernment and stuff, but um, the idea that people can, like you said, uh, these pe- this person who maybe um, you know, seemingly is unqualified to be in this position, you know, not even a staff position, but a church position. Um, but man, they're, they're really good at this and we can recognize that and we can kind of build them up to be in this position, whether it's a child working in children's ministry or the nursery or whether it's, um, you know, maybe developing to be in vocational ministry, but just the idea that, uh, people who are make up the body of the church, the, the kind of the lay body, um, are, are ministers, should be treated as ministers themselves in in a sense. I mean, we're all called to share the gospel and to uh, to to grow, you know, closer to Christ. But to be ministers to our community, be ministers to the people that we work with and that we go to school with, and um, I think that that philosophy that that y'all have here um, and have developed over a long period of time is uh, is one that it really seems uh, kind of. Um, it, it seems to to really empower kind of the body to really n- think of themselves as um, is not just somebody who goes to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday uh, and plugs in, you know, just kind of generically into a church, but is really part of this whole thing that is first Russellville and that is trying to reach the community, that's trying to reach the state, that's trying to reach the nation, and the world. Well, I hope. That's that's a a great sentiment. I hope it's thoroughly true. Um, you know, I think we're close. I really do. I, I definitely think there's something to um, there's a unity among our staff team and our congregation that I think is unique. Um, and I really think some of it is we know we're in a professional town. We've got a lot of nuclear plant employees and school teachers and administrators. So, you know, don't misunderstand. I think professionalism matters. Yeah. Um, but I, I am always mindful. I don't think I've actually read the book, but there's the the quote or the book title. You know, brothers, we're not professionals, 
there's something in the water here that says, hey, there's not a class difference between your pastoral leadership and your church members. We're all on the same team. Um, we're all pulling on the same rope. Um, and the kingdom is so big, we all have to be engaged. Um, but we've kind of broken down that wall, I think. And and some of that I do think is attributable to the old school days when everyone had to have the right pedigree and the right background. And, you know, I'm all for formal seminary education. My journey was, was not that way. Yeah. I, I got a secular degree, backdoored ministry, um, did online education through um, Trinity in Newburgh, Indiana. Not not the big Trinity, the little Trinity that no one's ever heard of. And mm-hmm. but it was it was a good education. I was able to get it while I was working on staff here, and the church valued letting me do that. Um, but they didn't say, "Hey, well, you know, you're not qualified to do ministry. You need to go away for three years and come back, and we'll talk." Mm-hmm. Um, I was always pressed to look in the New Testament and just see how Jesus, he didn't, he didn't call anyone to be a disciple who had a professional seminary background or um, theological, advanced theological degrees. They were salt of the earth, average, everyday Joes. And, um, and it really, he, it really does make you think, I mean, it makes you think when, when you think of, okay, who are we, who do we put stock in when we're, when we're looking at, at people who are, who, and biblically, um, you know, were church leaders. I mean, you can look at church fathers over the centuries that, you know, they were more educated and things. But if you look at the apostles, I mean, they, like you said, they didn't have seminary degrees. doesn't mean that that's uh, that that's a negative. It's a positive yeah. in most cases. But, um, but it, I, I think going back to just that idea of the way that it seems that, uh, that first Russellville kind of has focused on um, being a church where everybody's involved. Um, it, it seems to me that that, that can kind of uh, fill the gaps a lot of times when it comes to education, because if you're doing mentorship and you're doing other things, um, it doesn't fully stand in for a, for a, a seminary degree or a PhD in, in a specific subject of theology. But um, I think if you're, if you're building the community of believers uh, to be focused on mentorship and focused on building from within, you're going to have, you're going to fill the gaps of, of knowledge there. And if, if that person's called to do, certain things they're you can fill the gap if you're if you're focusing on that yeah i I sure agree with that and you know part of it is we live in a technological age where we have we have seminary resources on our phones now that 35 40 years ago people had to expend a lot of resources to have them in their home office or something you know so if you find a hot-hearted person that loves jesus that believes in the inerrancy of the word my goodness, you can disciple them almost to a theological education. You know, don't misunderstand. I mean, sure, sure. you can't teach Hebrew and Greek the way scholars can. And there's a tremendous value in seminary education. But you can certainly educate or disciple someone well enough to do what Christ has tasked us to yeah. do in the New Testament on a church-wide level. You, you don't need seminary to do that. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we have well-educated guys running around here, and, and I believe in that. Um, but at the same time, I'm ready to go to war with with the the common you know laborers in our community that love Jesus and believe in the Bible, and um, they're they're reaching people I can't reach because yeah. they're knocking shoulders with a guy at work yeah. every day, and um, you got to set them on fire. You can't reach the kingdom. You can't reach your community, um, and so that's really helped us. Just uh, I think that level of engagement of our average church member and absolutely and people understanding, hey, we're not paying these these full time ordained guys to do the work of the ministry. You know, actually, yeah. their work of the ministry is to train us and turn us loose. That's um, an inter- that's a really interesting point because I, I don't I I think there's very 
I'm sh- you know, I, I don't know. I can't speak for all churches, but I, I assume there's few churches that that where the body, um, if you really boiled it down, if like you said, if they're hot-hearted, if they're wanting to share the gospel, if they're wanting to reach people, there's few churches that think that, okay, we're just going to hire a, a pastor or a staff of folks that are just have great education and, and maybe a, a pastor who's just an amazing orator and preacher, um, and, and we'll just be good to go. You yeah, know, the body can just kind of function. We'll come in and hear the hear preaching on Sundays, and and that'll just make this church on fire for Jesus. It's like most people kind of feel that whether they, you know, we're we're all sinful and we all fail at this, but we all kind of know we have to be involved. Yeah, and, and I think what you're saying is, you know, seminary is it, it definitely has its place and it's important, but at the same time, uh, you know, no person should feel that that's a limitation that that would keep them from from being active and really reaching people. Yeah, no, that's oh goodness, we just get that in water and get everybody to um uh, to let it sink in, you know. And and I'm a big believer. I've seen it in so many people's lives that somebody falls in love with Jesus and they begin to serve him and, and get connected. Funny thing happens, they get convicted, they need seminary, sure. you know. Um, which is a great journey because um there's something beautiful when you merge the the everyday work of a church, which is a whole new education, um to uh, seminary quality education someone's passionate about both uh, i just i just that's the best of both worlds sure. and, and like you said uh, i mean today um th- there is the option if somebody feels that whether they they feel called to vocational ministry or whether they they just want to know more they want to dive deeper um if they want to go to seminary, they have the option to do oh, that without yeah. relocating. Like yeah, said. the distance ed movement is such a huge thing, and I, and I, I really, I hope this hasn't come across like an anti-seminary no, thing. Sure, you yeah. know, I mean, our entities—we're giving good money to all of our our Southern Baptist I seminaries. All six of them offer um, some they form do. of distance education. Yeah, we believe in them, and and they have done such a good job of making that available. Um, that I really do. I think we're living in. In a, in a blessed era because of that. Um, yeah. And, man, I would celebrate anybody that feels convicted. They need to do that right from the get-go, and they go. But I, I love seeing guys backdoored. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's well, I have, a, I have a friend who uh, his dad, um, we used to go to church together, and his dad was, he was just, uh, he worked at a large kind of corporate job, um, pretty high-level guy, and uh, but he just felt convicted. This was back when I was in high school, but he felt convicted um to go to seminary, and that was, I guess, maybe not the very beginning of distance education, but um, there were some kind of, you know, there were some online options and different things, and I, and he he went to school through New Orleans uh, Baptist Seminary, yeah. um, but he ended up doing, I think he did a Master of Divinity, and he did a, I think he did a Doctor of Ministry, but he he oh, had wow. no, yeah. um, you know, he he's not a he's not on staff of a church. He's just a regular guy who wanted to have that education um, to help himself personally and help in his his personal ministry. Um, but it's just a cool time when yeah. that's a possibility for 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 most people. Uh, if if they want to go that route, they that you can get the education. You don't have to relocate. You can continue. Yeah doing whatever you're doing. Um, And there's even, you know, I know we've got associational leaders um, that are doing a great job of just mm -hmm. providing the opportunity to do seminary classes in, in the smaller associations in our state. And man, that, that's incredible because, you know, most of those guys are bivo, they're bivocational. They, they couldn't uproot. They can't provide for their families if they just go and do a season of ministry, you know, a seminary. And, um, 
but we're bringing it to them now, or these guys are, and man, I celebrate that because it's it's a beautiful thing to see, and we're just multiplying labors and yeah, um, helping guys get positioned to do you know the best they can. That's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Well, I mean, again, going kind of going back to your your background, kind of going back to the the fact that you grew up in a, a, a believing family, um, but not one that was necessarily uh, destined you to be in the ministry per se, um, and, and and I think you resonate. You know, your experience resonates with a lot of people who um, may never be a pastor who, you know, you can understand that kind of perspective. Um, I guess just for folks, you know, whether they're a member of a church or whether they are on a, a pastor or on staff of a church, uh, how, how do you personally and then if you are in a leadership position, how can you empower lay folks to to really understand that they are part of the mission, that they are, the, you know, they're they're just as important as uh, as a as a leader in the form of a pastor or you know some other staff member they they are they are the body how do you how do you kind of build that rapport at, in a church setting and you know I, I think it does for us it goes back to DNA again um, you know I think what you just shared is thoroughly biblical you know we we look at acts 1 eight and and we don't see a church of professional staff members or you know, they didn't even have a mechanism. For, they began to call and ordain and set aside deacons about that time. You know, we have a model for that in the New Testament. Um, but the the folks that were gathered when Christ reaffirmed what he said in the Gospels and in Acts um, gave them their mandate to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Um, those were people who had jobs, ran businesses, you know, owned family entities, I'm sure, and, and their communities that they weren't professionals, but they were given the Great Commission. Um, I don't, I really can't find anywhere in the New Testament where that call ever changed. And so, you know, I, for me, it's been a simple matter of reaffirming in, a, in the church DNA, hey, it is thoroughly biblical that we're all on mission together. Um, and and we do, we, we try to, to teach a, a high view um, of every member on mission. You know, if, if you want to be a part of First Baptist Russellville, and and some of it's just simple. We, we try to say it a lot in a lot of different ways and affirm it from the pulpit and, and celebrate even when people join our church. I mean, we're always going to say, we're grateful that you've come here to figure out where you can serve and what your, what your mission is, because everyone is a they're a part of that mission. And, um, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm probably polarizing in that um, I've invited people to go find another church if they're just wanting to sit and soak. You know, I mean, there's plenty of churches that do that better than we do. Um, if you just want to sit and soak, I'm a really bad preacher to listen to, you know. So um, I'm not ashamed to say that because I think it's biblical, you know. Um, our, our view of church is so broken in 21st century America. We're so consumerism. Um, we want to make it about our music and we want to make it about, you know, the preacher has to do a certain thing a certain way and be done at a certain time and comfort. And um, that is not the New Testament model. Um, and even though, you know, we're blessed with good facilities and um, the AC is always on and we have a good sound system, we do some things to bridge the gap between the hearers and, and what's being shared. Um, we really try to relentlessly drive home the fact that you are here to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ and to be on mission with Him. And you are uniquely positioned to reach people that I can't reach in my role as pastor here. Every person has family attachments that um, they're your responsibility. They're in your family. You know, you, you see them on Thanksgiving Day. I don't get to do that, you know. Um, and people you work with and your kids go to school with, um, we just 
continually try to reaffirm, hey, if, if, if you're on a t-ball team, that becomes one of your mission opportunities. Build a relationship with them. Earn the right to share the gospel with them. Um, and here's the truth. You're going to have the first opportunity to do that, not me, because I'm not on their t-ball team, you know? And yeah. And we even did that with children's ministry back in the day. You know, I was a big believer that too many people allow, in a sense, a staff member to rob them of the privilege of leading their children to Jesus. And so I'm like, hey, if if your kid's asking questions about the gospel, let's talk and let's make sure, give me an opportunity to, to help you know if you're not comfortable, help you know how to do that. If you know Jesus, you already know how to share the gospel with your child. Don't don't let me be the one who gets to pray that prayer with him. You know, you share. And um, our people have really embraced that. And, and it's become, it's so encouraging now. So many of our, our children that are getting saved, you know, their parents bring them in and they say, hey, after the Lord's Supper service, they were asking me about that and why they didn't get to take the elements. And, and I just kind of walked them through you know, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus and explained it. And um, I could tell that they understood what that meant and, and they knew they were a sinner and they needed Jesus. And so we prayed and they bring them in and it's all done. And yeah. I'm like, this is how it's supposed to work. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, now let's just schedule a baptism and, and celebrate, you know. Um, after a while, that becomes much more a part of the DNA of a body because the stories are out there and people are talking about it. And, and it, you know, I guess it's positive peer pressure, though. Expectations begin yeah. to create similar expectations. I mean, if you're coming from an environment, you know, maybe a, a more traditional environment where you feel, um, you know, the it's not that maybe that in a in a more traditional setting that that members or or folks who are just lay people are are told that they're not supposed to be in, involved. But maybe there's just a mindset with some folks that. You know, that's that's not my place to speak to that because I'm not I haven't gone yeah. to seminary. I don't I don't I just don't want to say the wrong thing. But um, it, it's kind of it seems what you're saying is is that there's this kind of beauty in the fact that the gospel um, it, it can be understood by most people. Yeah. And we can understand what we need to know to share the gospel with others. If like you said, if you're a Christian, you you know how to share the gospel with other people and just kind of that um, approval of a, of a leadership to say, no, 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 you know, your kids, that's your responsibility. You know, your friends, you have everything you need to, you know, getting to that point where, you know, cutting down that barrier that says, I don't have what I need. You have what you need. Maybe you don't yeah. know how to answer all the questions, but that's another thing is, um, like you said, uh, just kind of leaning into the questions that kids or, or teenagers or um, even adults that are not Christians, especially in the culture that we're in, you yeah. know, a lot of people, um, you know, I would imagine in Russellville, um, it's it, it's the Bible Belt, but at the same time, there's probably a lot of people in Russellville by nature of maybe their family situation or what have you that they they don't really they've never heard the gospel in full, you know, they don't they don't necessarily or maybe they have, but it hasn't been something that has um, been put in front of them often or in a way that's personable and, and from another person that they trust. And um, so, I mean, I don't think we can assume any of those things, but um, but having that feeling, like you said, to you have what you need as a Christian to share that with somebody else um, and it kind of empowering people in that way. You don't know how to answer all the questions, but then, like you said, um, people people on staff and people with the degrees, you don't feel, be afraid to, to go to your church staff and ask them yeah. the questions and kind of, but that familial kind of aspect seems to be something that that's really powerful because I think a lot of people have 
that feeling. Um, you hear from a lot of people. Uh, it's a common thread uh, with friends of mine and people I know I've talked to where uh, either they're afraid to ask questions to their to their staff or they're afraid to share the gospel because of this or that. They don't know everything. Um, but if you can empower those those aspects of, of lay folks, I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal. Well, I sure think so. And it's fun to watch, you know, and it's fun. And that's for us is the thing we we want to celebrate when mom or dad says, hey, I, I prayed with my son last night and he got yeah. saved. You know, Beautiful. hey, that's that's the biblical model. Mm-hmm. You know, his parents are responsible for the spiritual heritage of their children. And um, so, yeah, we celebrate that every chance we get. And and we love, you know, if, if someone's. Um, gotten saved in in the workplace or at school or something, you know, we're going to introduce them with the the teenager that led them to Jesus, you know, and, you know, it's a neat thing. I've got a new um, son-in-law getting ready to come into my family soon, and and he was led to Christ by a young man who's a member of our church. Um, It doesn't get any better than that, you know, and... um, I, I'm I'm grateful that I wasn't the one that led him to Jesus. I'm yeah. excited that another a, a student led a a buddy to Christ. Absolutely, um, that's that's what you want. So, yeah. um, anyway, so you just keep celebrating those stories, and um, you know, I think that's a a big part of it is you you really do you you get what you celebrate. Yeah, you know, and that's how you build DNA. And um, I think now we're in a beautiful season where we've done that for so long. Um, and it really, it started under Stephen's leadership a long time ago and we've done it so long that it's just kind of who we are. Yeah. And, um, and I make no apologies for that. I love it the way it is. And to the point where we're kind of annoying, we're like, Hey, this is how it is. And if you don't like this, then I'll give you a list of other churches you can go find because to me, the kingdom, you know, Jesus wants everybody in the kingdom. Uh, I certainly believe the gospels for everyone. Um, but I don't think every every person in the city of Russellville fits our congregation. Sure. I, I'm, there's some wonderful churches in our community, and they do things different than we do. Um, and I'm a big believer that really being kingdom-minded means, hey, let me help you find where you need to be. And if it's not with us, then ask me some theological questions, and I can probably figure out where you're at and help you find the church that fits. You know, That's kingdom-minded. Yeah. Um, it's small-minded when you're like, well, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear so that you connect with me so yeah. that I can check another box and send it into the ACP. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those are, well, th- there's a lack of integrity, you know, in, in your reporting if you're just trying to roll people in the door so you can count them, you know. Um, I, I sincerely believe I'm, I'm better at running people off than I am at getting them in. I don't sure. know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> that's where we are. So, Well, I mean, in a world where it seems like, um, you know, truth is just not valued a lot of times, um, that kind of maybe it's maybe you're just speaking truth maybe people don't like to hear that you know uh, maybe I, maybe that's the old journalist in me yeah. you know i mean if it's not i wish you know the industry would work by the rules now if it's not true you don't print it but yeah. um i do you know jesus says he's the way the truth and the life um sometimes i think we just have an inability to speak truth um when it's necessary and and maybe almost like we're ashamed of it and um you know, I think part of what Jesus meant when he said, I, I'm the way, the truth, and the life is that I'm I'm all the truth. There is no truth apart from me. Yeah. And so what I've said, it's not just that it has value in your life and it affects life and ministry and, and church and family, but I mean, it, it is the repository of truth given to man. Um, and so my thing is, you know what, if, if he said it, um, then I'm not going to make any apologies for it. And yeah. um, all I'm doing is directing people to him. And that's 
that's what they need. So, um, some of that's probably personality driven. You know, sure, you yeah. can make that sound like a real fancy ministry mantra. I, that's just how I think. You know, yeah. And, but I, but I think, I think it's biblical. I hope yeah, it's biblical. I, think it's bibli- so. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of truth to, to the idea that you know um, when you know, you know it goes back to what we've been talking about with with kind of everybody should be involved. Everybody everybody's a Christian. You know, should be doing ministry. But then it comes back to where we understand that we're 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 fallen and we're never going to do everything perfectly so uh, maybe sometimes we get uh, we feel like what's the point you know and trying if i can't if i can't do what i need to do i I fail at this but i I think it's uh i think it's an interesting thing because when you think about it that way um you know christ is truth we there's mystery to that we don't we don't know everything there is to know um, but we know that we know who christ is through scripture and uh, we know that people need Jesus, and we know how He's changed our lives, and how He's changed people we know's lives. And sometimes I think just in the world with so many distractions, you know, I was going to kind of see if you could speak to this, but we have so many distractions. Whether it's you know media, whether it's our phones, whether it's television, or you know fantasy football, or what have you. You know, everybody has, uh, and and media has gotten to the point where you know in you know 1960 maybe. <laughs> There were magazines and there were billboards and there were three channels on TV. So everybody could, uh, maybe people were watching television, but it went off at 10 o'clock and it was fuzz and everybody's watching the same shows and there's not a whole lot more than those, than those options, you know? So your distractions were there, but they weren't, now it's 24 seven. You can be distracted from the time you get up to the time you go to sleep and never really think about anything. Yeah. So I guess in regards to our our spiritual lives, just kind of speak to that. Um, maybe just from from your your perspective as a pastor, but also just as a as a believer, you know, personally, and what you kind of see how that affects ministry. We're so distracted. How do we how do we battle that? But how do we also you know recognize that and 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 not kind of look past that? That is something we gotta think about. That affects us. Yeah. No, that's a complicated one because I'm I am in. Full agreement. I, I think we're busier than we've ever been. You know, I saw a study just the other day. I think the average, like, connected church family attends 1.6 times in a month. You know, that's a staggering number, you know. And that's one of the things we talk about sometimes with our folks. You, you, you know, you, the school district's going to get your children five days a week, you know, seven, seven and a half hours a day. Um, at, at most, we might be getting their kids in Sunday school on Sundays and during a Wednesday night program. So you're getting two, two and a half hours of Christian education to supplement secular education. And secular education has its value. I'm not, you know, protesting that. But I think we have to be aware of, of where the numbers are. Um, and whereas in years past, you might could argue that the entertainment industry or, um, and even the internet, or you know, however you want to generalize, they they weren't overtly deconstructing biblical worldview. I would argue they are deconstructing it now, almost intentionally. Um, now, a lot of stuff on social media is just drivel, um, but we have become enslaved to the drivel. You know, we have to be looking at our phones, and we have to do this, and have to do that, and and so between busyness and then the worldliness of of all the entertainment and technology. Um, it's really, really tough for people to spend any authentic time with Jesus. And, and of course, I, I'm going to always argue that. I, they don't need to hear me preach. 
they need to be with Jesus mm-hmm. um, day in and day out. You know, so we talk a lot about spiritual disciplines, and um, I sincerely believe that's old school. Um, but goodness, if if our folks are are in the Word and in prayer um, on a daily basis, um, they're taking the most important steps they can take yeah. to deconstruct busyness and, and to battle worldview and, and to filter all the entertainment. Because, you know, you spend enough time with Jesus and, and you'll get convicted that, yeah, maybe spending 14 hours picking my fantasy football lineup every week is not the best. Re- you know, yeah. am I saying you can't do fantasy football? No. I mean, but do you have to spend 14 hours doing research and select, you know, agonizing well, over a lineup? Yeah. No, you don't have to do it that way. You it's the fact that that when you do invest time in trying to spend time with with Christ, that you you find yourself convicted of things you, that you yeah. would otherwise maybe not be convicted about. Yeah, and you know God intended for us to tend the garden, and and I believe we're to be stewards of the world we've been placed in. But that means we we don't get enslaved to the things we make. Yeah, um, they're to work for us. We don't work for them, and we've just lost that in our culture and. Um, so, you know, that's just a little bit of my personal life mantra. I, I try to be very careful that, um, uh, well, someone coined a phrase a while back and, and said that um, I'm supposed to be the fulcrum of quiet steadiness around here. Um, and I'm not, I'm sure that's an English teacher's quote from some source that yeah. I can't remember. It's a great phrase, though. Um, and I'm pressed that, you know what, if, if, if I'm too busy, mm-hmm. if I'm distracted, if I'm not doing what I need to do in terms of my spiritual devotions and and how I'm leading my family, and then the whole church suffers because yeah. if if anything, you know, it's scary to think about in pastoral leadership. But they say in a lot of cases, over time, churches begin to resemble their pastor, probably a a, a bit like you know, your parents, you, you either become just like them or you revolt and go the opposite way. And I figure churches do one or the other too. They, they look an awful lot like the, the person who's mentoring or they totally wholesale reject his leadership and run an opposite way. And, um, you know, if, if our church is going to look like me in 10 years, uh, I better take that. That's a weighty responsibility, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. and, um, but it means I better be living it as well as preaching it. Yeah. Um, and in fact, in most cases, there's a lot more learned by observing life than there is learned by listening to what someone has to say. So sure. um, I try to be very careful about how I lead and how I walk and, and what I do. And um, it does, it, it changes things, you know. Well, it makes, it makes a lot of sense, uh, your point kind of about going back to kind of how, uh, media and, and different sources that are con- we're con- constantly getting input from, um, you know, it to that point, but also to the point of, you know, our daily, you know, our regular focusing on Christ, getting into Scripture, praying, trying to build those spiritual disciplines. Uh, we know, you know, that, that those things are healthy, that those things are um, biblically mandated, that we, that we grow that relationship or, you know, we focus on that. We so we know that when we spend time there, and most of us can say that times when we've been closer to God have have, have really kind of uh, kind of mirrored when we have put time and effort into focusing on those things. It just kind of so it's funny because when we look at media and we look at all these inputs that we're getting from the world, and like you said, uh, the deconstruction and 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 reconstruction of truth based on things that aren't biblical that goes on in so much of media that's so much of popular culture and politics and everything that we see today. Um, if that's, if that's constantly being put in our head, you know, if that's constantly being, 
you know, that's going to shape our heart unless we have the, the same thing if we're getting the input from, uh, from our, our spiritual disciplines. Yeah. I mean, it's just common sense. Yeah. So in a day that we have all those distractions and those inputs, um, you know, it's never not been important. Spiritual discipline has never uh, been unimportant for the Christian. But today, I mean, I would I would think it would be even more important than in the past because of that constant kind of beating of these things that are not of God that we're constantly yeah. dealing with. Yeah, there's definitely more competitors. Um, doesn't mean that people didn't find ditches before, but it, it's it's multiplied and and it's more difficult and and it's just I, I do I mean this sounds maybe old school or you know, it's a secular age, and and so I I think we even you know I've been so refreshed by um, listening to Bill Elif, and I, I would say he's a guy who's mentored me in the last ten years. Um, you know, you listen to these folks that um, sincerely believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and and the Word of God, and and you begin to realize, you know what, if what I'm doing is not powered by the unseen realm, then I'm just a well-educated secularist, you know? I mean, what's the difference what's the between, point, yeah. yeah, I mean, there are smarter, better, you know, more entertaining, more energetic, more well-spoken folks out there in the world than sure. virtually any of us in ministry. Yeah. If, if the Holy Spirit isn't real and the Word of God isn't where the power is, then we're just putting on a dog and pony yeah. show, yeah. you know, sure. and, and that always presses me. I, I mean, you know, I... As a journalist, you give me some great source material, start in the in the word, add a few commentaries. I can put together a sermon in a, in a short amount of time. Yeah. Or I can put together a very similar sermon over a much longer period of time in which I sincerely allow the Lord to be a part of that process. I'm not sure how much difference there is in the actual wording that might come out in the one compared to the other. But I'll tell you this, I've preached enough to know there's a lot more power in the sermon that gets marinated in the Spirit and the Word of God and takes time to produce than there is in the one that I shortcut because I just relied on my educational background and sure. slopped it together. Yeah. Um, content might actually be the same, but there's a funny thing that happens. Yeah. If the Holy Spirit isn't in it, uh, you, you can tell. And yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just press myself to remember that, and, and, and we press our congregation, you know, um, if if you're leaving the spirit and the word out of it, um, oh, there's a lot of ways to to let your brain and and your time and your yeah. energy and your resources, you know, um, get expended in our culture today. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, we can argue about the tithe all day long and and what's happening financially to churches, but you know, a part of it is there are more organizations out there that do more fundraising than they've ever done online and and otherwise, and people just get nibbled at, you yeah, know, and. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying many of those things aren't doing really good things, but we've we've lost track of um, just we're not focused. Yeah. I and mean, we're spread a million different ways. And, you know, there's lots of old sayings about what that gets you. But um, I don't want to be a, a mile wide and an inch deep. I, I just yeah. don't. Um, I, well, it, it goes back to the idea of uh, it almost, you know, you could say going back to the, the whole idea of education and things. It's like that that plays a role. But. Um, you know, if you could argue somebody into accepting Christ, you know, yeah. you could just get William Lane Craig to just go, you know, hang out with people and, and, and he would be the greatest evangelist of all time. But we just, you know, that's God has to move. And, and, and the way that we understand that to happen is he, he moves where he wants to move, but we can grow closer to him by, by the spiritual disciplines and things you've said. So it's just common sense. I mean, where your time is spent is what 
is what you're going to get out of it. You know, yeah. makes a lot of sense. But um, one thing I'd like you to kind of speak to, and you not you don't have to speak directly to you know your your involvement or the church's involvement, but the um, the recent kind of amendment that was that was passed um, by the state um, for the casinos in the four different locations, one being Pope County where Russellville's located, um, and kind of just the I guess it, it it could just be seen as a you know there's casinos in other parts of the country that it's not it's not casinos aren't a new thing, but it seems to be a uh, it, in a way just kind of a representation of um, a lot of kind of the ideology of where culture is today in our country, um, kind of the, the, the opinions on, um, you know, why there should be a casino in, in Pope County. And, um, and and you can look at the aspect of, you know, Pope County itself during the vote voted against it. Yeah, resoundingly. Um, resoundingly. Yeah. So, you know, that's its own question. But I guess just speak to, to that in regards to how churches, not every church, not every um, – not every church in the, in the in the you know the state is is having to deal with something that um, is you know a legal challenge um, you know uh, all the things that go along with that. But in a day where culture is just changing and it's shifting and it's not changing in a way that is is pushing towards biblical truth, you know that could just be a stand-in for all kinds of different things that churches yeah. and individuals are dealing with, whether it's a coworker who is an atheist and 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 they and they don't want to hear what you have to say but you feel strongly they need to be you know they need to come to jesus or it could be the the casino issue i mean how do we how do we focus on not getting discouraged when these things happen when we know we're in a sinful world and things like this are going to exist um but also just how should a christian how should somebody whose focus is on christ and growing to be more like christ how, how should a christian react to these things you know what is the role of, of a, a Christian when it comes to the the political aspect? All these things. What what do you? How do you kind of? You're in the middle of that in a way. <laughs> yeah. How do you kind of uh, yeah. deal with that? How do you how do you uh, encourage your church and, and people in this area dealing with this yeah. issue? Well, again, you're asking really really big questions. There's a lot of ways we can go with that one. Um, but I, you know, consistent to what we've talked about, um. I believe if if you believe in Jesus and you believe in the Bible, then it, it impacts. Uh, it's a systematic impact on your worldview. So you can't compartmentalize. Well, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be political. Or you know, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't want to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't do. You know, compartmentalization is not allowed. If if Jesus is Lord and Master over all, um, then I think we have an obligation to allow His truth to to impact every bit of our lives. I don't think I get to hold any of my life in reserve and say, well, this is mine. This is not Jesus. You know, no, Lordship of Jesus Christ says it's all his anyway. You know, There's that old pamphlet, I think, um, My Heart, His Home. Well, goodness, yeah, we all should read that again, you know, because it just reminds us he's either got it all or he's not welcome. And so as I think through that, you know, to me, the casino issues. Yeah, there's a lot of um, legal issues and constitutional issues, and and we can make it complicated, and people have. Trust me, ad nauseum in our community, there's been a million ways to look at it. Um, You know, for me, it's really, really simple. The two great commandments are, you know, love the Lord with all your heart and mind and soul, and and then love your neighbor as yourself. Um, you, You can't pretend that a predatory gambling industry in any way is loving your neighbor. Mm. You know, we're, 
we're authorizing an entity to come in who's going to prey on our own people um, and create poverty and serve liquor 24 hours a day. And, and the number, you know, it's funny in our community, you can't even quote statistics anymore. It's like you're you're the devil or something mm. if you have <laughs> proof that casinos are harmful. You know, and like 30 years ago, everyone knew they were harmful. It was just whether or not we felt like, you know, a libertarian view of life was sure. we can we're all adults here. Let's go do what we want to do. Um you know, we know it's harmful. We we know they're taking money out of people's pockets. We know there are kids going to go to bed at night without a meal on the table because mom or dad spent it at the casino. And we know it's going to impoverish people. It's going to increase bankruptcies. It's going to endanger um, folks in our community. We know all that. As a church, as a pastor, um, just as a believer in Jesus, I think I have a mandate to say this is unhealthy for our community. Um, and you know what? You're not going to do this without me at least looking you in the eye and saying, this is a really poor choice, and, and I don't think we should do it. Um, you know, we have not been given much freedom to do that in our community. It's like we're crazy people. Um, but, you know, I, I've often thought, um, I, I guess I can say it on this interview. I probably wouldn't say it to a secular interview, but, um, boy, if they only knew all the things that we're opposed to because we love Jesus, you know? I mean, it's funny. I'm I'm not okay with homosexual marriage, and um, I'm not okay with the divorce culture we have today, and I'm not okay with abandoning children. And um, goodness, I can give you a long list of things that yeah, I feel yeah. compelled because I love Jesus yeah. um, to say is not in the best interests of our society. Does it mean I get my way every time? No. Have I learned how to live in a in a community that that doesn't always agree with me? Absolutely. I mean, Jesus said if if. If you love me, the world's going to hate you. Yeah. So I, I'm ready and willing to endure hardship. And I, I think he made it very plain that following Jesus is going to result in suffering on this side of eternity. Um, but you know what? I, I would rather hear him say, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant someday, than to have the adoration of our community. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I think there's something funny in our culture today where people outside the church really think I should care what they think about our moral choices and uh -huh. they don't seem to like it when i say i really don't care what you think i'm you know jesus said this that well, kind of sells to have an opinion a yeah opinion. that that happens a lot too yeah. it's like well you know that's all bible stuff but you don't get to have an opinion about something in the community or mm -hmm. you know this is political and a church can't we've been accused of some awful things um like a church can't have a political position on an issue um, well, I remember I've seen preachers endorse political candidates from the pulpit and the IRS actually didn't do anything to them. Uh -huh. You know, the separation of church and state doesn't flow the way most people think it does. It's actually protecting the churches from the government intrusion. Sure, yeah. It's not the other way. Um, but our our community has kind of decided, hey, these little churches need to be isolated and they're cults and put them out on an island. Yeah. Um, and yet the statistics would say from the last election, about 70% of our community actually agrees with, with our position. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the vote uh, itself. The vote was that. very clear. Yeah. It's a funny thing, you know, Votes actually, I thought I was in a democracy and votes yeah. matter, but yeah. apparently if you can stir up controversy on social media, that's more measurable than the actual election results. So, yeah. I'm, you know, that stuff, well, as a former journalist, that confuses the fire sure, out of me. And it's like, hold on, yeah. we had a vote, but now you're telling me because some people started a web page and bought followers and got some people from out of state to join the page that's more important than the local vote. I, I'm really baffled. Or that a know. vote of the entire state 
should decide what happens that's, here yeah. when the, the people here. That's another constitutional it, argument that ha- ha- hasn't been heard yet. Yeah. I think it will be at some point. Yeah. You know, they've imposed it. Um, but I mean, you know, you're not just a preacher, you're a Baptist preacher. And Baptists have, have always been very much <laughs> yeah. uh, in favor of separation of church and state for, for these reasons, you yeah. know, having uh, biblical opinions on things. Um, but that's... Um, but that's, you know, that's something that, uh, it's interesting that we're, you know, like you said, the, the separation of church and state exists. It gives, um, it gives churches, it gives people the ability to have an opinion like that, um, without, you know, it, it should be something that just, you're, you're able to have a differing opinion and, and you're not arguing that your opinion should, uh, you should somehow, um, just by force, decide what happens, you know, you want the process that exists yeah. in, the, in our country. But um, I, I guess just it's interesting that dealing with these kind of issues, you, 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 you have the, you know, you, 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 you said that it's interesting how if people knew how many of the things that you, you are against or you would stand against based on your biblical worldview, based on, on being a Christian, um, they'd be surprised, and uh, and I think that that's a lot of times people. I feel like in the in in it, we can't expect people who aren't Christians to understand everything and uh, and and be Christians and have the same moral compass as a Christian. Uh, but it's interesting how many times the the people who who maybe think that we're bigoted or we have backwards opinions based on our biblical worldview, what we see as Scripture is saying. Um, it's pitched as a negative, but they might see it as a negative. But you you see it as a as you're trying to do what's best for your neighbor. Absolutely, you, you're saying yeah. I don't agree with this, or I agree with this, or I want to. You know, you're fighting for what you feel biblical revealed truth says about the human condition, about Christ coming to save us, about what is good and what's going to bring death. And um, so it's it's just interesting that that obviously in a secular um, society in a secular world. Um, that's not going to be that worldview isn't going to be understood or believed, but um, but it's funny how a lot of times views that you're looking at it as I don't want, I, I want to fight this casino because I don't want kids to be um, at home hungry I don't want the parents to be you know uh, misusing their money and I don't want all these negative societal effects to come from this that we've seen in other places. Um, and it's pitched as, oh, you're you're trying to decide what happens because you're a church and you want to you want your worldview to 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 take over society, and it's it's just a funny it's funny how that's that's portrayed sometimes. Yeah, because I thought you know even secularists understood that most churches believe people would be happier if they practiced what you know. I mean, Jesus didn't say I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and now go make it up on your own. Yeah, you know, he, he said that for a reason, and I'm a firm believer that yes, how he designed life to be lived is. This life is best appreciated the the closer we can walk uh, according to the principles of Jesus. Yeah. And I don't say that because I'm angry or I'm mad at anyone. I, I, I really do believe I can say that out of sincerity of heart that um, I hurt for people who are walking in darkness. Yeah. And, I, and I hurt for people who are deceived by the lies that the world, the flesh, and the devil tell them. And sometimes I'm in that boat. You know, I, I have my own struggles. Um, but I sincerely believe that it's in the best interest of any society um, to 
adapt to the principles that Christ has said brings life and brings light and brings joy. Um, and so that's it. I, I'm not angry even about the casino issue. I'm not mad at anybody because I, I get the fact that people see it differently than I do. Um, and they're all adults and they get to make life choices. And um, But in all sincerity, it's not going to be good for our community. And I can't just stand around and say, well, you know, let's just ruin people's lives. God bless you. You know, I mean, yeah. I, that. I can't live with myself if I do that. In fact, I don't think that's my obligation. I, I think I have a mandate from Jesus um, to be, you know, in the ministry of reconciliation. And reconciliation says, hey, you're you're not where God intended for you to be. There's a separation. You, you have a sin issue. And, and, and where you're walking is going to cause harm. And can I, can I share with you what I believe Jesus Christ sincerely says will, will change things. That's my job. Yeah. Um, and this is certainly an issue that if I just stand on the sidelines and, and honestly, some people have, um, and they're probably, you know, their approval rating is much higher than mine. Sure. And I, yeah. I, I just don't lose any sleep over that, you know, because, um, it's, it's not about how popular you are in your yeah. community. It's, are, yeah. are you fulfilling the mandate of Jesus Christ? And, and I will say, it's easy for me, because our, our church is very united. Our folks love Jesus. Um, they believe in the Bible, and, and they love their community, and they don't want to see people hurting. Um, and so it's a very simple issue for us. It's been non-controversial inside the walls of the congregation. I know that. Um, it may feel like a time bomb when we walk outside, but that's kind of what Jesus prepared us for, you know. Yeah. And, and it's not—I think, if, if anything, you know, Christians n- need to understand— if, if you believe in the New Testament, this is not going to get easier. It's not going away. These conflicts are going to continue to happen. And so if, if we're desperate to have our communities fawn all over us about sympathetic beliefs and you're one of the guys, and um, if we need that kind of approval and that kind of affirmation, um, we're going to compromise horrendously yeah. in the years to come. And it seems like that's something that maybe, um, you know, in recent years has been, has, uh, has come to light in some of the... Um, you know, conversations around uh, race, conversations around uh, things like um, sexual abuse and different things. I, I feel like there might be a tendency for knowing that we're in a secular society that that is just does not believe the same worldview, does not hold the same worldview that that a biblical, you know, truth founded worldview. Um, there's there's probably just a human tendency when we when we feel like there's something that we can agree with with society because because you know yeah with the the general revelation that exists in society where a person can say well I, you know slavery's wrong and they can feel passionate about that and they can fight for that but they might not be a Christian we I think maybe it's a tendency for us who are yeah. who are you know biblical um, you know evangelicals and a lot of times when we're talking about Southern Baptist Christians. Um, who feel strongly that, that the Bible is where we we look to, and that's our that's where we get our, our understanding of truth. To say, oh, I you know they they're saying this too, and we can jump on board with them. But there there might be a, a you know a, just a, a little bit of a an issue that we need to think about when we when we you know justice is is a biblical concept, but you know we have to keep our biblical worldview we can't yeah. it's just you want to be able to get along you want to be able to to have that it it doesn't feel good a lot of times to have we, i mean i think most christians have found themselves at some point in their life where their faith whether it was a small thing or whether it was you know a missionary in the mission field who's physically attacked or something find yourself in a position where your faith has put you in a position where you're either made fun of or you're 
you're seen as somebody who is uh, who's backwards or you're you know you're not in the in the group that you want to be in or what have you so we want that kind of uh, whether it's not a good thing but we want that and I think we have to be careful um, like you're saying to to just always go back to to the to the Bible and go back to what we believe and that's got to drive it whether it, it leads us into a, a position of maybe like in the past people think talk about back in the day or what have you when um, America maybe a lot of people weren't Christians but at least people generally held to some form yeah. of a Christian worldview. We, we're not really in that world anymore. Maybe we, we, maybe that was a kind of a time that we can look back on and say, man, I wish people generally had that moral kind of compass that they don't have anymore. But um, I, I guess we got to be careful to not move in a direction where... Yeah, I, you know, man's version of justice and God's justice are two total, totally different things. Mm-hmm. You know, can they share some some values and, and crossover at times. Yes. But yeah, we have to be careful. And, and I'm with you entirely there. I, you know, scripture says that the church is to be a pillar and a buttress to the truth. Um, that probably nowadays means the church is going to stick out like a sore thumb, you know, and, and I think we have to be prepared for that. And that's why Jesus said, you're going to be aliens and strangers. Um, I, I, I see a mandate that, Yes, we're to be winsome so that we have an opportunity to share the gospel. You know, I, I shouldn't be picking fights, um, I, you know, but we have a mandate to to adhere to biblical values. And, and we still have freedoms in our in our country to work the democratic process and to yeah. vote and to engage in political life. Every one of our church members gets to have an opinion about all these things and go and, and do and engage and, um, you know, increasingly— there is just this separation of if you don't line up with what culture says, if, if you're not in with the secular norms, if, you know, then, then you're not welcome at the table. And, uh, I'm, I guess I was never a big fan of bullies and I'm just always the type to say, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. You know, let's, let's yeah. talk. I'm yeah. not going away. I'm not going anywhere and I'm not going to change my opinion. And, um, that's probably not, that's not spiritual, but well, it seems I feel like, a conviction to be like that. Well, so. and it, it seems like, you know, like I said, nobody's, when it comes to the casino issue, uh, not everybody in the state is dealing with something that's just so blatant, you know, in their community that they're, that they, you know, they're fighting or what have you. But, um, but, but just in the culture that we live in, I mean, um, I think what you're saying is basically we just, we can't compromise our worldview in order to kind of live in society comfortably. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, like you said, that we have to be a, you know, I guess there's a balance because on, you know, if you look at Christianity, you know, Christendom, maybe there's a spectrum where you have the people on one end um, politically who are the just, you know, so kind of capitulated to culture, um, you know, from from anything from from homosexuality to abortion. There's churches where the pastor would make arguments or I guess arguments based on you know, not on scripture, as far as I understand it, um, to, to, to try to say certain things that are just biblically obviously wrong are, are yeah. okay today. That's obviously capitulating to culture in that way. But then there's, you know, you get the Westboro Baptist Church that's, that's screaming everybody down. So there's a there seems to be an obviously neither one of those things are biblically based. The, it seems like what you're saying is the, the biblical mandate is that there's hard truths that scripture speaks of. We're not always going to be popular. We're and more so than that, we're going to be unpopular if we're speaking truth because we're speaking to, to fallen people. But at the same time, there, maybe the, you know, just the beauty of what the gospel represents and what the gospel is, uh, is that it's not a it's not a fight in the sense of we're trying to attack these people. We're trying to love them into 
the kingdom. Yeah. Well, I, that's it. I, I think, you know, I believe my worldview is entirely consistent. And I think I'm actually very, very practical and, and predictable when you get to know me. You mm-hmm. can kind of guess what I'm going to say about just about anything because it's in the Bible and even in our culture today, most people, they kind of know where Jesus lands on these things. They, they twist his word some to justify, but I think they know in their heart of hearts that they're out on a ledge, you know. Um, I think I'm predictable, um, but part of the problem is we've lived in a culture where Christians have cozied up to the culture so long, and, and they've seen Christians capitulate that they don't know what to do with someone who just keeps saying, well, the Bible says, well, Jesus says, well, you know, it's like, hold on, you can't be like that. Like, well, funny thing, Christians have been obstinate like this since Jesus was resurrected and, yeah, you know, formed yeah. the church. The church has always been separate. It's always been a unique entity that was calling people to leave the darkness of their of their communities and join them in the light. And so there's always been this wall of separation. And, um, you know, we're, hey, we, we love the fact we want visitors to come. We want, but we're not going to change our message so we can attract more visitors. Yeah, we're yeah. going to keep preaching the truth because at the end of the day, that's actually what they need to hear. And that's what they're attracted to. So I do think, you know, part of it is People are so used to compromise now that they don't know how to deal with people who are thoroughly consistent. Um, you know, well, and I guess we can't we can't get mad at, at non Christians. No, you know they're no. not going to believe what we. No, I'm, what I'm more angry at the Christians who yeah, compromise sure. than I am at yeah. lost lost folks are just behaving the way we all would without the presence of Jesus Christ. You yeah. know, yeah. But absolutely. if you say you're a believer and you have no backbone when it comes to biblical issues. Well, now, now I'm ready to spar just yeah. a little bit. You know, yeah. let's have a let's have a discussion here. Yeah. Um, well, but going back to what we were talking about earlier, it seems like the only way really that that really comes to fruition in a church, you know, in an individual Christian's life, are when you have a church like we were talking about. The you know, uh, you know, First Baptist has really tried to build that kind of environment where you're just not going. I mean, you're not. You know, obviously, you'd argue that that biblically, you're not meant to function as a singular unit. You're, you're, you know, the body of Christ. You know, it's a, it's a communal thing. So, I mean, you're just not gonna, you're not gonna be able to, especially in the culture that we live in. Um, and even if you talk about things like uh, what's going on in Pope County, I mean, you're just nothing's gonna happen with those things. Um, you're not gonna be able to have a consistent kind of lifestyle if you don't have the support of other believers around you. I mean, mm-hmm. in addition to the spiritual disciplines we were talking about, but um, that seems to be the thing because I, I feel like maybe sometimes uh, we get whether it's because of all the distractions of media and everything else or or we're just busy or or what have you. but um, I think we maybe get to we we just kind of get isolated a little bit and we're not we don't have that encouragement that comes from other believers and um, we all need that. And without yeah. that, I, I, there's just you're just not going to be able to maintain that. It's kind of like you, you come up with a you know with a, a New Year's resolution, and uh, and if you try to do it yourself, you end up well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the gym every other day this year, and then you know, a weekend, yeah. it's been a few days, you know. But then if you've ever done something like that with a group of people, you're you have a whether it's you know, especially if you're more competitive, you have a reason to kind of push through and. And it becomes a community thing that you can really all kind of get around it, you know. Yeah, we we did a series right after I became pastor. And, of course, the culture had been built under Stephen, but um, we called it Band of Brothers. And a lot of it was really just overtly sharing with the congregation what our staff team had been practicing for a while, which was just— um, just the idea we're all in this together, we're all pulling on the rope together. Um, isolationism kills, you know, teamwork. 
um, is, is the core value. And and a lot of that series for me, honestly, was was born out of I'm a history buff and an old journalist. And, you know, you look back at um, you read all the World War Two accounts. And um, I love Stephen Ambrose. And he wrote a wonderful book called Band of Brothers about a unique slice of of the military. And um, I, I, I've got several. Um, I think it's Robert Kappa, the old black and white pictures from D-Day landing that barely survived, you know, on his camera in the water and all. But they're so stark, and, and yet you, you see these folks that were willing to sacrifice for a common goal. Um, and we just really kind of preach that value into our folks. That's who we are, whether we want to embrace it or not. And we're much better off embracing it than running from it. Um, but we are um, a band of brothers, and um, we... We're knit together by common goals. Um, we're not always, there's going to be bullets flying. There, there's going to, you know, it's just, it comes with the territory. Um, but there's something beautiful that happens. And maybe this is the old athlete in all of us, you know. Um, I was always a much better basketball player once I got hit in the head one time, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why that was, but it, I can probably explain it, but it's probably best left. I mean, there's something about being in the battle mm-hmm. with people you believe in, that sense of teamwork and trust that it, it inspires and it encourages. And and I, I think most of us we're better when we're in the arena um, than when we're standing on the sidelines. Yeah. And and so that's been you know the Lord I, I think has in his in his goodness and his grace he's he's given us a few demons to slay over the years and and a few overt battles to fight and um, it's knit our our people together in a very unique way and our staff team is very much a a, a result of that you know we. We don't have islands. We don't. We don't argue about territory. It's always what's best for the church, the the whole entity, the body. Um, and you know, whenever we need an attitude check, we do sometimes go back to that old. Uh, I guess that was Shakespeare and St. Crispin's Day, and and all you know that all that old history. But we we band of brothers. We made yeah. a few. I mean, that's who we are. And and I'm. I believe that's a precious part of our identity in Christ. Yeah. That because of the Olsteins of the world and, and the, um, you know, just the name it, claim it, prosperity doctrine stuff out there, it's it's like we're afraid to tell people that it's not always going to be your best life now. And sometimes it's going to be hard and there'll be persecution and there will be suffering. It's like we want to hide that from folks. Mm-hmm. And, and yet our experience would be those are the times we felt closest to the Lord. Yeah. And we've had a greater sense of unity and a greater sense of purpose. Um, and I think that's one of the unique challenges, like for our convention, we can't create, we can't be Don Quixote, you know, charging um, entities that aren't in existence out there. Um, but we need to have a sense of purpose. We, we need to know we're a unique outfit in the Lord's purpose. And we've been given a mandate and the culture is going to push back. And, and that's why we, we can't do life as we've always done it. And mm-hmm. um, we can't just kind of drift through the culture today. We, no, we, we need to be warriors. Um, and I know that sounds like a lot of rhetoric, but um, it's not rhetoric to me. And, and I believe, you know, I think increasingly we've seen you know, men move to some, some very high roles in our convention that embrace the same concepts or that I caught it from, you know, uh-huh. I haven't affected any of them. They don't know who I am, you know, <laughs> which is good, but, but I, I see it in them and that immediately gives me an affinity. I, I love the fact that I know uh, a Ronnie Floyd and you don't have to spend hardly any time with a Paul Chitwood to realize that this man has no agendas beyond the kingdom of God. Um, and he just wants to do the right thing the right way and time's wasting. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing? You know, let's, let's quit having all the petty arguments and let's go to war. And, um, man, I, 
you know, for us and our culture here, you, that's that's our language. You're yeah. you're, you're yeah. saying the right stuff now, and we're all in. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. When, yeah, it's again, it kind of goes back to a lot of a lot of stuff when it comes to whether it's the spiritual disciplines or whether it's you know um, what is a church if it's not a if it's not a community of people, you know, and and that's so, so important, you know, yeah. in the New Testament. I mean, if that wasn't if it wouldn't be emphasized as it is if it if it wasn't important and it's super important in the New Testament what the church you know is and and uh, how we're supposed to function as churches and locally and everything else but um, but it really does make you think a lot of this is kind of simple but um, but it's hard to execute but it, but again um, it, it's it seems almost impossible unless we really focus on you know kind of holding each other and and kind of pushing each other forward, you know, because like you said, you you were kind of uh, making analogies to kind of being a, being an army, and it's like you can't have an army if it's just one one guy out there, you know. You yeah. got to have multiple people, and you got to be trusting each other and moving forward and everything. So, well, and then there's some fancy saying that I I forget the back half of it, but it, it just emphasizes, you know, culture is more important than process or procedure or whatever else there may be cultures the key and i think for us we've just found if we get the culture right yeah um ministry is not rocket science uh-huh. running a church is not rocket science you know i mean managing people is not rocket you get culture right and all these other things just fall into into place yeah and so that's why we're, we're going to value culture first and jesus sets our culture for us and it's pretty easy and I, i'm not smart enough to make it more complicated so that's what we do well, uh, brother, I, I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I always have uh, fun talking with you, and um, you know, you've got a great church. Um, always, you know, anytime we've had events here and stuff, it's always fun to come and, and kind of you know, get to talk with folks who go here. And uh, my parents actually used to be here, uh, a member here, a long time ago. Um, so it's, it's just a, it's a cool, it's a cool city, it's a cool church, um, and uh, you know, I always enjoy talking with you. Just, uh, I just like you. You're a cool, cool guy. So. Um, I hope this was uh, helpful to everybody out there, you know, to get to know uh, the president of the convention a little bit, um, kind of hear some of his thoughts on just a lot of different things, um, a good conversation. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to seeing him at the uh, at the annual meeting this year and come say hey to him. Um, yeah, T minus four weeks and I have no responsibilities anymore. <laughs> so uh, counting it's, down. It's on so. to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, brother. Thank you for taking uh, the time. You're and, very uh, welcome. Thank you.